Hi, welcome to a special bonus episode of Wool Shift Dust, a Silo TV podcast. Luke is resting up for an academic conference tomorrow, but I snuck in a special guest. We have with us today Hugh Howey, author of Wool Shift and Dust, aka the name of this podcast, and also one of the executive producers of the Silo series on Apple TV Plus that just wrapped up its first season. Now, yeah, Hugh, I, I know you always say to expect failure because most projects fail. But now we're looking at like definitely the most talked about show on Apple, maybe even the most talked about show overall right now. Have you let yourself celebrate this win? I'm trying to. It's uh, it's wild. I, I was just talking about this with a friend, how you try to keep your expectations in check. This is definitely not something you expect. Like very few shows get this kind of um, hype and word of mouth and buzz and I was worried we would release something no one would be able to find it. Instead, it seems like it's everywhere. And yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm flabbergasted and thrilled. I've heard a, a lot of people are signing up for Apple TV just to watch this show, so that says something. Yeah, that's I mean, Apple is super happy with me right now because that's <laughs> what that's what they dream of. You don't yeah. really make money on ticket sales the way you do with with features with film. The only yeah. way these shows help the parent company make money is if um, people sign up to watch them. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think Apple's content overall is is worth it. Like, I, I'm an Android user when it comes to technology, but um, their content has really been knocking it out of the park. So I'm glad that Silo helps spotlight all of it. Yeah, I, I'm also an Android user, so. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they um, are becoming, you know, it's funny, at the same time that they rose to the top for prestige TV. Um, Max dropped the HBO moniker and it just seemed seemed like a passing of the baton. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, yeah, I, I know for a lot of, uh, especially genre fans, uh, and Netflix has also really kind of dropped the ball on that. And uh, it's nice to see Apple and to, uh, to some extent, Amazon also kind of pick up the ball with these, because these genre shows are expensive. These are not cheap productions. Yeah, they're expensive and, and they require um, fans of the genres. And that's what you find in tech companies. I mean, it's um, it's very fitting. Apple is um, trying to build our future. And yeah. the fact that, you know, there's a lot of people who work there who are interested in sci-fi is not a... Right, um, not a coincidence. It's not surprising, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Well, so I was wondering, what what is the most exciting feedback you've gotten about this series? Now, we all saw the Stephen King tweets, of course. Yeah, that's in the that's in the top ten for sure. Um, I mean, I uh, it's cool to get like the celebrity endorsements, but my mom has been turning her living room into a cinema every mm -hmm. Thursday night. She actually does two viewings. She does a Friday for all of her friends, and they all come over to her house and pile into her living room. And just watching how proud she is of of all this and her getting all of her friends into the show. Yeah, that's got to feel good. Yeah, and the opening night in Charleston with my family and friends and just having a bunch of people from, you know, basically my college years right. um, be there to support the show together was a, a major highlight. Yeah, the people who have seen, you know, your lower moments and now see you rise up to success. That's got to be gratifying. Um well, thank you for being kind enough to let me pick your brain a bit here. Um, the general spoiler policy for this podcast is that we talk about any episodes that have aired. So we've got the whole season and the related part of the book. So 
spoilers are allowed for the first half of Wool. And then um, at the end, we'll do a special separate segment that will only go to the book club members. And that will be full spoilers. So all book spoilers. Fun. Cool. All right. So, uh, yeah, you're really generous with your time. Like you told me just before we started recording that, you know, you've done you've been recording podcasts all day. Um, it's, it seems like you make it a policy to make yourself available to people like me. So first of all, thank you so much for that. But I'm wondering what made you decide to prioritize that, to always make time for that? Um, it's kind of always been my, um, my policy. I, I enjoy this. I love talking about this world and these characters, so it's not a chore for me, but I also, when I was, you know, just starting out as a writer, I made my writing journey very public. I blogged about it and right. shared everything on Facebook. And it was with friends and family. People who knew me were the only ones who were following me. Um, but just making myself available and interacting with readers and um, saying yes to pretty much every promotional opportunity created a wonderful feedback loop. And I got as much out of it, I think, as, as anybody else, because it kept me fired up, let, let me remember why I do this and stay engaged with the stories. Right. Um, so yeah, it just it drives my passion. Um, and I okay. feel like this is how storytelling used to be. It was a very communal right. endeavor. It wasn't like people in a writing cabin in the woods, you know, walking out every five years with a novel. It was, um, you know, uh, it, was, it was a constant back and forth and learning from each other. Right. And so that's the way I view this industry. Right. Yeah. That's how we kept our histories. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have to say, as as an unpublished outside of games science fiction author myself, I, like, I really look up to people like you and Andy Weir, especially like not only for writing absolutely gripping books, of course, but for forging your own path in self-publishing. So I was wondering when you made the decision to go that route, was there anyone you were looking up to yourself? Yeah, there were, you know, I, I was lucky to be chatting with um, a handful of people who had gone that route. And we were all kind of thinking the same thing, but none of us had seen this level of success that we thought was possible. So it was all hypothetical. And, and we were all just wondering if we were crazy or not. Hmm. Um, Daniel Suarez was one that I remember early on. He wrote an a amazing sci-fi book called Demon. Um, and he couldn't find a publisher to, to take a chance on his work and just started selling you know, out of the trunk of his car and it turned into a big success. A publisher of it later picked it up. And I, I love that book. And I realized, you know, the, the route that you publish doesn't say anything about the quality of the work. Right. Um, yeah. It's just that there was so much stigma to overcome at the time. So the, the, the decision was never easy. Looking back, it's easy to kind of rewrite that whole time period and make it sound like it was an obvious decision. Yeah. But I remember agonizing over it you know, for a long time and getting terrible advice from, from a lot of writers who said that this would, what were the, well, the, the idea back then was if you self-publish your career is over, right. Um, to almost at a conspiratorial level, like people thought if you self-publish then publishers, if they read any of your stuff, they'll go like do research on you and find out you'd ever self-publish. <laughs> and, and they would say, no, don't you know you're blacklisted? Like there was right. that level of fear about self-publishing and and it, and it seemed absurd to me, but I, I didn't know anything about publishing. And right. these were all established folks telling me that I couldn't do it this way. And so it was re really weird to, to 
forge my own path and run counter to everyone else's advice. What What would be your advice for someone who's trying to self-publish today in this current climate? Um, put out the uh, work that you're proud of and start working on the next thing. I think right. the trap people fall into is um, one of spending time promoting like one book instead of thinking about like it might be your eighth or your 12th book. That's the one that you're most proud of that, that readers help. That connects. Um, yeah. yeah. That really catches fire. And the later, the later the book, the better, the more of a backlist you'll have for people. So, you know, just don't get hung up on that first book. You have to make it as good as you can, get it out there and then start writing the next thing. Right. Okay. And who are your go-to authors, books, or genres uh, when you have time to read? Um, I read a lot of nonfiction. So I don't, you know, and, and a lot of nonfiction, it's like kind of one book and then you never, you know, it might be five or 10 years between books if they're prolific. Um, so I don't follow a lot of writers. I just kind of pick uh, topics that I'm interested in. Um, but for fiction, Amor Tolls is like one of my new favorite writers. And I just wait for his next book to come out. What, what kind of nonfiction books do you like? Um, you know, history, philosophy, technology, um, uh, science, a lot of nature stuff, pretty much whatever I'm interested in learning more about. Right. Um, it's, it's autodidact reading list. Yeah. And I, you know, that's where a lot of my writing comes from is I do a deep dive on a topic and then it informs something that I'm, that I might be working on. Yeah. Yeah. No, it shows in the details. Um, yeah. And so uh, in terms of the show, you were on set recently, it looks like based on that YouTube video you just pu published with Rebecca Ferguson. Yeah, that was actually from season one. That oh, was an okay. older video. But I, I haven't felt brave enough to share. I, I might get in trouble for sharing that video. But, um, you know, we weren't really supposed to share anything from on set. Oh. Um, but now that the, season, the first season's right. out, I, I think it's okay to share a couple of things. No spoilers, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, it sounds like filming's in full swing right now. Yeah. Big time. People are relieved that you seem to think the next season will be released next year. Um, do you think the writer's strike will play any role in that? It, it shouldn't play any role in season two. I, I'm, I'm eager for this writer's strike to end so everyone can get back to work. You know, right. I've got a lot of friends who are right. have projects on hold right now, which is unfortunate. Um, and I'm a fan of a lot of shows, and I, so I want Hollywood to keep making them. Um, but I, the, the thing that could mess up is, um, we, you know, we need to keep working on season three. Mm -hmm. And none of that can really go forward, though it's impossible not for things to percolate while you're, you know, like the, everyone involved in the show is thinking about the third season, whether they want to be or not. Yeah. And yeah, just for listeners in general, I just want to let people know that uh, Luke and I talked a bit about the background development of this project, Silo, you know, the, as you called it, the development heaven many years and uh, your philosophy toward these types of projects uh, in general in episode two of this podcast, our second trailer breakdown. So I encourage anyone who hasn't to go back and listen to that as a companion to this interview, if they want to know more about that. Um, and I apologize that the sound quality then was not a step down from what you're hearing now. <laughs> um, and also you did a full AMA on the Silo Series subreddit this weekend. So I won't be repeating anything discussed there, 
We talked about some of the things you said in our episode 10 breakdown, and I'll put a link in the show notes for anyone who wants to go browse through the full AMA. Uh, but I, I have a question from actually a friend of mine uh, who I just got him started reading your books. Um, so shout out to Bob, aka Dead Eye Jedi Bob on Twitter. And he says, being a newcomer to the series, I have to say I'm fascinated with how this world is presented to readers. No one's holding our hands, so to speak. The reader isn't given page after page of the conventional history lessons in sci-fi explaining how or why this world is the way it is. We learn about these characters by watching them go throughout their day-to-day life in the silo. More revelations are unearthed over time. We're in the thick of things as the characters are making such discoveries. And I find myself unable to put the series down as a result. And he asks, when you started Wool, did you know how it would end? Or did you unearth the ending as you delve deeper into this unique world and its characters? And uh, yeah, I know that Wool started as a standalone short story about Holston and Allison. But I guess at what point did your full story take shape in your head? So, yeah, when I wrote the short story, I knew how I wanted uh, that to end. Though I will say when I was writing it, I kept going back and forth. Um, Part of me wanted to give the story a happy ending. Okay. Um, and I just couldn't do it, but I mm-hmm. kept thinking like, God, man, I don't want to do this to these people. Um, but you did so, it so many times. <laughs> yeah. And I think the re I, I know a lot of readers when they're going through that first part, they go back and forth of what they think's happening. And I think right. they're picking up on my, um, hesitation. Okay. Um, and, uh, but that ended up wrapping up the first part of the way I envisioned when I got all this demand for part for more of this uh, story, but everyone was dead. So I had to, you know, think about, okay, who am I going to, who's this story going to be about? And I, I didn't want it to be a, a Johns and, and Marge story, which is why no. they're the next to go. Yeah. Right. They're the next to go. Um, yeah. I felt, I feel like their story was kind of behind them. Most okay. we were, okay. we were getting them at towards the end and the only way their story could really, move forward is for them to, you know, retire and be together. Right. And again, I was hesitated to do like a happy ending for them. So I thought, okay, I'm going to use these two characters as a bridge to introduce the star of the, the, of the bigger novel. And I I wanted that to be a mechanic and I dreamt up Juliet and I thought, okay, what's the end? What's she going to go through in this story? And the, the main thing, and, and this is as far as I'll take the discussion of the plot since we're in our season one spoilers only um, yeah, discussion. Yeah, season one, so halfway I, through. I yeah. knew I wanted her to, like, leave the silo. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and I had an idea of what I wanted the very ending of the book to look like, which has already happened. Book. Yeah. Um, one of the best parts of this first season to me is when uh, Juliet and her dad reconcile right. and mm-hmm. connect over uh, their misunderstanding of what happened in the past. And that to me was like a central theme of the overall novel. So yeah. it was kind of cool that we got that in the, in the first season. Yeah, no, I, I said on the podcast that um, when I'm reading that part of the book, I'm like, Juliet, just go see your dad now, please. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. I, I was I was pleasantly surprised to see them reconcile earlier in the show. Um, what what's your favorite change from the books? Um, 
I really like Walker as a woman. I think the relationship with Juliet is much stronger that way. Yeah. It's more, um, there's more goddess energy in that room than there is like adoptive dad. And when you think about what her mom, you know, the tinkerer that her mom was uh, in the show more than in the right. book, um, Walker really becomes like an adoptive mom. Right. In, in 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 silo in a way that Walker the male version of Walker is not in the in the novels. I think that's a I think that was a very strong change. Um, I like um, I like Bernard Bernard's complexity in the TV show is really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Like that last conversation he has with Juliet before she goes out in episode ten, just shows what he wrestles with, you know, I I never wanted him to be just an outright evil person in the books. And I think the show does an even better job than the books of having that nuance. Okay. And who's your favorite show only character? Um, My favorite person who's only in the show, man, Mm -hmm. that's tough because there's, there's a lot of cool characters added, but I I don't even know his name. I got to look at the credits. He's, he's barely in the show. But the the redheaded um, oh Danny, hacker, Danny, Danny, yeah, yeah, he is so natural on camera. Yeah. Like, what I kind of wish is, you know, this there's this character in the book named Scotty that we got right. rid of, right? Because there was just too we couldn't get to it all. And I kind of wish we had made that Danny character Scotty, mm-hmm. um, just to give homage to him. But I, I loved his. Um, performance and i think if there's a a way to play up his role in the future it'd be amazing yeah no i'm i'm voting like uh danny lucas uh patrick kennedy hacker ring you know take over the silo yeah patrick kennedy also patrick kennedy is amazing and i was we were we were on set for some season two stuff with him and just got to hang out a bit and he is so easy in front of the camera he's just Mm -hmm. like has he has it what actors have to have and i think as we figure that out during season one we were able to like expand his role on the fly because he's he's so good yeah no i mean i we have talked about in the podcast when we first saw him and that he was credited on imdb as like five episodes or something and we were like, oh, what are they going to do with this character and then by the end of the season we we're like we love patrick kennedy he must not die yeah, you know, he's he's a flamekeeper without knowing what the flamekeepers are. And I, I love that about him. Um, what's what's amazing is that he has he gets in trouble in a way that's not life threatening. You know, right. he's like but he's doing some of the same stuff that other people who are getting off are doing. It's just mm-hmm. amazing how he nothing sticks to him. It's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. And it's it's funny, the relationship with Juliet, how she's just always showing up at his door. And yeah, she saves him that one time, but she's always asking for bigger and bigger favors. Um, I, I just hope he gets that watch. Like, I, yeah, I'm gonna, he I'm deserves gonna, it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send him a watch at some point for like, <laughs> you know, the next season wrap or something. Yeah, she she got his apartment busted. He's arrested. Oh. But yeah, speaking of the Flame Keepers, who came up with the idea of the Flame Keepers? Because that's a show concept. Yeah, it was a writer's room thing. It's one of the things I don't remember who came up with it. Um, yeah, I have no idea. It was, but it was very early on. It was in the mini room where we were breaking out the seasons, um, because that's where it came up with Gloria. 
um, okay. and, and her expanded role in all this. Yeah, because Gloria in the book, she was Marnes's uh, neighbor, and that was kind of what we heard from her. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I think her, um, her well, her performance was incredible. Yeah, but uh, showing what, how, why they kept her around, and if you know if she hadn't helped Sims have a kid, mm-hmm. she right. she'd be dead. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's what Luke kept saying. It was so powerful the way she gave him everything so that she could stay drugged up. Like it was such an inversion of the, you know, usually the getting, getting drugged up is the threat. And in this case, it was like, we'll keep it from you. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That just shows how desperate she was. And that, that was kind of the most heartbreaking that she was giving up her principles. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Luke and I talk a lot about the most emotional scenes. There's a lot of them, but what scene from the show impacted you the most? Uh, the most, um, I mean, I cried several times watching the, watching this, the episodes Me with too. my wife <laughs> and, um, probably when Juliet's father says that she never believed me about his wife mm. and Juliet says, I know I do. Um, that just, that tears me up every time. Yeah. Like you just think about what he went through and what he lost you know, a wife and two kids and living alone, you know, just helping other people have families. That's his like daily job and knowing right. enough about the bad things that he's doing to feel some guilt, even if he doesn't know about all the other stuff. Right. Um, so him getting her love and respect back was just heart wrenching for me. Yeah, that was the episode that we, uh, Luke and I had split opinions. I called that like the most emotional scene and he called the uh, Martha trying to leave her workshop the most emotional scene. That's also, br- the, the time that she doesn't mm-hmm. um, leave is really amazing. Um, it's incredible how much she does just with her face and her hand. She's phenomenal actor and if you see her in other stuff she's never the same person either she doesn't play herself right no we keep calling her a chameleon like every single time it's it, it, some people don't even know it's the same actress yeah she's phenomenal yeah and okay so on the we we did the sad stuff on the flip side what's the like best funniest line that sticks out in your head uh, the funniest line um you know Marnes is the one cracking me up the most i thought he was uh I thought he was hilarious. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of which which one of his jokes I liked the best. I feel like almost every scene he was in, he was he was saying something that that got me going. He's Luke's um, favorite character. Oh, is that Other, it's Luke's favorite? Uh, yeah, him and Billings. Yeah, Billings too. Um, I don't know about funny, but I my favorite like heartwarming scenes are just watching him. And um, and John's together, like their romance is so sweet. Yeah, I th- and I think like maybe my my favorite little moment between them is during a cleaning when um, John's grab reaches down and grabs his hand, and the way yeah. he looks down mm-hmm. and glances at her, it's like you can tell his heart's racing like a like yeah. a middle schooler, and so much of their past is in that moment, and so much of what happens to them going forward is foreshadowed there. Yeah. It reminds me of a moment when in the books, when they go and visit uh, Dr. Nichols and 
he's telling them, you know, the whole backstory of with their family and they're just holding hands while they listen casually. It's, oh, oh, that's yeah. one of the things that tore my heart out the most, <laughs> that whole romance. Yeah. I wish they could just like live, live the rest of their lives together. Yes. <laughs> um, so what's one thing that surprised you about the television production that you learned through your role as an exec producer on the show? Uh, I was, I was surprised at how much we would shoot and not use okay, like yeah. entire sets that we built that we shot scenes on that just got cut and realizing this show is better for not including every scene, like just knowing what to take out. Um, each episode could have been probably 10 or 15 minutes longer. And I don't know that yeah. that would have made them any better. Uh, I mean, I, I would have loved 10 or 15 minutes more in the finale. I can say that. <laughs> um, I guess you probably can't say uh, if any scenes that were that were cut from the production. Oh, yeah. I'm, I don't know. If, I don't think I'd get in trouble for it. Um, uh, there was an investigation. It's from the book. There was an investigation into someone was stealing crops and they find out it's a the rabbit. Bunny. Yeah. Yeah. And we actually built like a hydroponic gardens these big racks with real carrots in there and um some farmers and in this amazing scene with um holston and marns investigating it um and then holston telling allison you know a re like recounting it while they're showing some of the investigation and uh yeah it's like really good stuff but uh it, it would have gone in the pilot and, and just didn't need it right but um you know, we could have we could have saved a lot of time and money to realize it didn't need it earlier on. You know, there's a whole fan theory that I'm I might fuel a little bit that um well people were thinking that the bunny that we see young Juliet release in the one episode, it's obviously that bunny would be dead by the time that Marnes was doing this investigation. So I've decided that that bunny got together with another escaped pet bunny and yeah. uh, had bunny babies, and that's who was in the garden. Yeah, it's like a descendant, maybe yeah. like grandparent. I don't know how long rabbits last, um, six or seven years or something. Yeah, probably not 15 years, yeah. But um, yeah, they, they, they're definitely related. That's canon. All right, it's canon. There we go. You heard it here. And what was it like filming your cameo in the last episode? Was it your first time doing something like that? Uh, I, think it might have, I think it was my first time, especially it's, I, I, may have, I did some commercials when I was in college, um, which is also just standing around in the background. Um, but, uh, to be a part of a production that big was pretty wild. And also I, I didn't tell any of the other, you know, extras. They just th thought I was like some other idiot like them. Okay. And, um, and they, um, all knew what they were doing and I had no idea what was going on. And I think they were probably wondering like why they would put someone so clueless, like, you know, in such an important part of the stage <laughs> I was like just trying to learn on the fly um but it was so much fun because uh the wall screen was in front of us and it was showing yeah. Juliet go out to clean we're watching it happen so um, had they they had filmed that scene with her before and then they were showing it to you yeah that that was one of the first things I shot was the cleaning because it was one of the few th scenes outside um and so we're all standing there like watching her clean and reacting to it and it was the ultimate in kind of um, cosplay, like yeah. to get to dress up in, be part of your world and part of the story was really surreal. 
So if someone gets the opportunity to do a, a cameo or a, a walk-on role in a set, uh, what's your tip for them? Uh, definitely do it. Like it's mm -hmm. it's so cool to see how the sausage is made. Um, I think the I think the the hardest thing to learn is how to pretend like you're talking without talking. Okay. Like yeah. silent, you know, pantomiming a, a regular conversation is so much more difficult than you would think. Especially if you do it over and over, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. Um, am I correct in assuming AMC was involved in both this and the Beacon 23 production? Yeah, in, in different ways. Uh, AMC, they're the ones who optioned Bolt to, uh, right. to begin with for TV. Mm -hmm. This is after I got it back from 20th Century and Ridley Scott for when they were going to make a feature. Right. Um, so AMC was developing it, and, and Apple kept asking, like, can we be involved? Can we be involved? And so by the time Apple got involved, we had, you know, producers from both uh, companies uh, working together. So uh, AMC had a huge role in, in how the story, you know, came together and they were co-producing uh, the season for, you know, much of the, the filming. And so I feel like I got the best of both worlds. Um, and then with Beacon, someone else was developing it and AMC did, did what Apple did to them. They're like, Hey, can we be a part of this? Okay. And so it's like AMC sold off wool and bought into beacon 23. And <laughs> it's, yeah. But, uh, I, I love the, I love the folks of both companies, but yeah. I've, I've done several things with AMC and just really like the, the, the team there and, um, love working with the folks at Apple. It's, you can see how once you form relationships in the industry, you just want to keep making right. stuff with the same people. Like you, you, know you works, can see yeah. why directors work with the same actors and right. and all of that. It's just you, you develop a comfort level and an affinity. Yeah. Yeah. We've noticed that a lot of the writers on this show have worked for previous Graham Yost productions. Yeah. But you can see that, yeah, you, you nurture a talent and uh, give them opportunities to shine in new ways. Um, now, yeah, was was there like, do you notice a difference between the productions, uh, the Beacon 23 and Silo? Um, yeah, well, I spent a lot more time on the set of, of Silo than okay. Beacon. Um, and I was a lot more involved on, on Silo. The biggest changes, you know, they're very similar. Um, both incredible um, writing teams and, and, and set production. Uh, incredible cast on both. I, I'm interested to see what we have with Beacon. I've been less involved in like the post production, but um, it's I, I'm kind of in, where I am with Beacon. I was the same place with Silo, where I'm just keeping expectations really low until okay. until we get it out there. But but there's two seasons filmed. Yeah, two seasons filmed, and yeah, they're both in post now. So I hope we get some news soon about when the when the first season will be released. Yeah, fingers crossed. Okay, well, in Silo, then, uh, what's one thing from the show or the books that people keep misinterpreting that you'd like to set straight? Um, that's a good question. Well, I wouldn't say misinterpreting, but I, I, I will say that people think the mystery of what's outside the Silo is the most interesting thing. Some people think this. Right, right. Which I I don't mm -hmm. think that's, that's super interesting. I think what's um, most interesting to me is what living in that silo does to people and why someone would have built it. Like right. what's the, what's the origins of the place? And so I think it's the, the history 
of the silo to me is more fascinating than what's going on on, you know, on the planet outside of it. Right. And I, and, and those are the mysteries, you know, that the book really gets deep into. Mm-hmm. And, but, but that's just me. Like I'm more into like the psychology that I am the disaster story. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, they, no spoilers, of course, but they kind of go hand in hand in the end. Yeah, that's, that's true. But, you know, I studied psychology in college and I think that's one of the things that I find so fascinating about, well, especially in shift, there's a lot of, uh, you're put in interesting moral quandaries where you question what you would do in certain characters' places. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite fan theory that you've seen from show only watchers? Um, I love the people who who like think way outside the box, like mm-hmm. people who who will say um, maybe they're on a spaceship. You know, maybe this is like a a colony, right. a colony ship. Uh, multi-generational and this is to keep people from going insane let them think they're still on earth um so i I like when people get way outside the box like that um i also love people who try to figure out how this and the world of sand are the same worlds (laughs) yeah and people want there to be a howie verse so better start writing it in yeah the problem the problem with that is like you know the people who just did a deal for sand for tv you know, if these are on the same world, then like who owns what? Right. No, it's exactly. a lot easier for these worlds yeah. to be separate. Yeah. Any sand adaptation news? Um, I, we haven't announced the deal yet, but it just got finalized a couple of weeks ago. But um, as soon as, you know, we're, we're trying to get some producers, some non-writing uh, executive producers attached now because we can't really do anything beyond that till the strike's over. But um I have the same attitude towards this as everything else. I, right, I doubt anything right. will ever get made, but I'm excited to work with people and get some scripts written. That'll be fun. And uh, book three? Yeah, book three. I'm doing uh, a couple of uh, short books following up Balloon Hunter. Right. And then book three is the next big release, which I hope uh, end of this year, early next year, we'll have that out. Yeah, Balloon Hunter looked great. It seems like a success, right? It, it launched well? Yeah. Yeah, and I didn't even really try to launch it, but it's uh, it's gone kind of crazy all on its own, and I love it because it's a very difficult book. It's like, it's it's unusual. The fact that it's landscape format, first of all, right. is kind of wild. Um, but I know you've seen this, but it's mm-hmm. um, it's it's a tricky book to read, and it's a fun book to interpret. Uh, you know, to, tricky to, to read because of the postcard format. Yeah, because the postcard format, and also we don't spell out stuff right so at okay. the end you kind of have to sort out what happened i think it's clear but you might have to read the last few pages a few times to to see how dark we went with it <laughs> and um so that's the hint think darker that is the hint think darker um but the sequel uh is going to surprise people so um, we're excited to get that out okay um yeah and okay so about uh back to the other darkness silo what is the pet policy? I was wondering because in the books I had the idea that they were illegal, um, but in the show clearly people have pets. Yeah, I think the that that was just writers putting their own preferences in there. There's a lot of dog and cat owners on the writing team, and I don't right. think they liked my idea that pets were food. Like, yeah, that yeah that well that yeah, and the pets were just not allowed like right. too much, um, too light, too making people too happy. Um, but if you want to keep people docile, yeah, it seems like in the show, anything like there are people that had cats and dogs and, Mm -hmm. um, 
So it's, it's kind of all over the place, but I'm happy with whatever they decide. There's plenty of room. That wasn't a stickler for you. No, nah, I didn't care. I'm a, I, I prefer I prefer pets, but you know, I, I was the, the the book is much more dystopian. You know, the only place there's really any kind of music or art is just in the marketplace. It's not right. all over like it is in the TV show. So they they did not want to go as dark as I was. Are we ever going to see that flashback with the play? Sorry, that's a slight book spoiler, but not really. Um, I don't think we have that, but I I pushed for that. I, th- I thought we should have had because I love the young Juliet. Like I, yeah. I thought those flashbacks were great, and I wish we would have wish we would have had that. The closest thing we have, of course, is uh, in the pilot. Allison is at one of the plays where they're giving a little right, uh, you know, talking about the founders and the uprising. But I, I, I wish we would have worked in. A Romeo and Juliet thing. It was nice to see her, the Nichols' parents happy. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, there were other scenes that I was really pushing for. Like I wanted um, Lucas to invite Juliet to dinner one night because she wasn't, you know, eating. She, she worked in the cafeteria, right. but she was never really eating. And he, I was going to push for him pointing that out and saying like, look, let me come over for dinner. Mm-hmm. And when she showed up, it was like him and his parents. It was like family dinner and just yeah. the discomfort of Juliet in that setting I thought would have been um, would have been a lot of fun. Yeah, because you said that you're often the one that pushes for changes in, in this show. Yeah, I, I I think, you know, more add more instead of, um, you know, instead of truncating and taking away, like let's flesh the world out even more. Yeah. Okay. Uh, last question for the non-spoiler section. Um so we like to highlight from time to time the work of crew members who really made the show. And for instance, we've talked about Pippa Broadhurst, design work. Um, is there anyone else on the crew or production side whose work you think deserves a special mention? Well, Gavin and his whole team, uh, Gavin ran uh, right. production design. Right. Um, what what they built is just astounding. Like With the genius. The, the set and the stairs. Yeah, the staircase, the silo. Like they... There's, there was a room full of 3D printing machines and, and architectural pusher board models and blueprints running, you know, all day, just spitting out what the build team needed to create. And you forget that, like, you can't just, like, people were using these stairs. People were running and, and fighting, like, these were steel girders and poured concrete, and it had to be robust and functional. And... That means you're actually like kind of building a piece of the silo, and that's a huge undertaking. I was shocked at at, at what was involved in that and and how they pulled it all off. But I think he and his whole team just deserve they deserve an Emmy for sure for for building yeah. this this set. I mean, I think a lot of people feel like uh, members of the cast and and uh, yeah, writing crew and everything deserve Emmys uh, all around in this show. So yeah, I I wish you know I think. I think David and Rashida deserve yeah. recognition, but I you, you rarely get nominations when you're only in in an episode or two. But it, it doesn't take away from just the the quality of what they put on the screen is unbelievable. Well, the fact that people are so desperate still that they're still alive uh, tells you something about what an impact they made. You know, that was ten episodes ago, and people are still like, "No, but you're telling me they're really dead." Yeah, it is brutal. But you can always go back and watch those first episodes again and, That's and true. spend time with them. That's true. And read that section of the book. And that concludes the show-only section of my talk with Hugh Howie. 
Though we did continue on for another half an hour talking about book changes and what's coming in future seasons, if you'd like to continue listening to the rest of that conversation and you don't mind book spoilers, you can find it in our new Silo Series Patreon book club feed. Link in the show notes. If you're interested in reading the books yourself or would like to have all of the important plot points summarized for you with all the important twists, the Patreon Silo Book Club is where you'll get all of that insider book reader intel. Stay tuned to meet Sam and to find out how you can listen to the rest of my interview with Hugh Howie and uh, get all of the Silo Book Club details right after this quick commercial break. Welcome back. For anyone interested in learning more about the Silo Book Club and in hearing the rest of my interview with Hugh Howie, you can find all of that information and episodes coming up breaking down each of the books one at a time and then the entire first season of episodes two at a time, focusing on all of the juicy book spoilers that I had to bite my tongue about all throughout the regular Woolship Dust season. You'll find all of that at patreon.com slash woolshiftdust, one word, and you'll find that link also in the show notes. And my partner in crime, uh, helping me unlock all the secrets of each of the books from Wool through the Silo short stories, is Sam from Silo TV Fans fame. With our gag order completely lifted, we finally get to share all of our thoughts and theories about the first season, including what's going on with the digger, that tunnel, and what Gloria says they're putting in the water. Now, bringing their own hot takes to the table, I know from previous conversations that Sam and I didn't always agree on what did and didn't work in the television adaptation. So expect some multifaceted opinions about the book-to-show transition. And speaking of which... I have Sam here with me right now, and hey Sam, welcome to Team Wool Shift Dust. Though you've been an unofficial third member of the pod basically all season. Sam, you and I have a lot in common, but definitely some differences too. In terms of thinking about Silo and our general personalities, what would you say are the biggest things we have in common and uh, the biggest differences that we have? Hi, thanks for making me a part of the family officially. I think the biggest thing we have in common is our love for seeing the books come to life. We also both seem to have a soft spot for the underdog characters, but I'm sure we'll talk more about them in a minute. Yeah, that's true, huh? We like the puppy dogs, don't we? And yeah, as you've probably noticed, uh, Sam is using text-to-speech software to record this podcast with me. Um, This is a recent development in their life, and I wanted to give Sam a moment to talk about what's going on with them. So, um, Sam, if you feel comfortable, please share a bit of your story. If you have been around my account for a while, you will know that I've been semi-open about my cancer illness. A few months ago, I had brain surgery to remove a tumor, which worked. But during the operation, there was a complication that meant that my speaking ability was compromised. This was a known risk going into it. While I am hopeful that I will regain some of my speech with time and lots of speech therapy, for the time being, I rely on sign language and lots of writing. Alicia and I had vague plans for doing an episode together and my surgeries came in the way of that. So it feels extra special to get to do even more than we had originally planned. Yeah, I really wanted to do this book club with you. We've been talking through the book spoilers ever since the TV show began. And I can't imagine doing this with anyone else. So I'm really thankful that text-to-speech software is advancing enough, uh, even the versions that we have access to, that we can make this happen. So uh, you might hear us tweaking the voice as we go, but it should add an even more fun dynamic to our banter. 
Sam, now you and I bonded over the very things we're gathered here to discuss, the books Wool, Shift, and Dust by Hugh Howey and the TV adaptation that came of them. Can you tell us a bit about when, where, and why you picked up these books? Uh, What's your silo story? A bookseller recommended Wool to me when I asked for a dystopian read. But I didn't form the emotional connection that I have to these books now until I read Shift in Rehab. It was basically the only thing that kept me sane while I tried to find myself again, sort of. It sounds like a joke, but I truly haven't stopped talking about these books since then. All my friends are glad I finally found my crowd for these talks, so they no longer have to fake interest. Yeah, I think we're all grateful for the Silo Squad community. And yeah, it's incredible when we're able to connect with storytelling like this in a way that moves us and gives us something to hold on to. Now, you and I have obviously been able to talk a bit more about your experiences, and I know what this has meant to you. Yeah, for me, it's a different story, but it's uh, it's kind of the same. I fell in love with the books, and I don't know, maybe I, I think I fell in love with some of the vulnerabilities of the characters we've talked about in there. You know, we've talked about loving the underdog, but also characters like Walker, who is one of the first characters I've seen in print who had an anxiety disorder that wasn't used as a comedic trope. So yeah, the series, um, they're page turners, they're thrillers, but they're also books with surprising emotional depth too. So for our book club, which book are you looking forward to talking about the most and why is it shift? No spoilers, please. Ha. Well, there is obviously the emotional reason I already mentioned. But mostly this is where Hugh came into his own in terms of world building for me. I try my best not to be the oh, just wait, kind of book fan, but I do have to bite my tongue when Joe only fans talk about the world building of wool. Sure, it's great, truly, but, uh, just you wait. Yeah, it's true. Wool's full of all of these mind-blowing reveals, but then you get to Shift and you're like, oh wait, that was just like kiddie pool time. Yeah, Shift is definitely where you find out how it all came to be and why and where. And yeah, I think the moral questions it asks are questions that really tend to linger with people long after they finish the books. Yeah, that's one of the reasons people get so excited about this book. And the drama. And the drama, yep. Although there's some great action in Wool, yeah, well, yeah, there's great action throughout the entire series. Okay, well, I know Sam and I are both eager to break out of the spoiler shackles, so we're going to continue a more spoilery conversation uh, right after the other half of my interview with Hugh Howey. You'll find that episode, plus all the other upcoming book club episodes, in the Patreon book club feed at patreon.com slash woolshiftdust, one word, link in the show notes. And we're asking a small fee per episode, basically the minimum recommended by the Patreon fee structure. This gives you access to an exclusive feed only for book club members. Plus, you'll be able to participate in polls and future discussions as the episodes roll out. And of course, um, these ad-free episodes are a better way to help us uh, support the cost of running this podcast that you're listening to right now. The more costs we can cover, the more time and money we can devote to producing better episodes faster. And we're asking for a pledge per episode and not per month because we want to make sure that we're only charging you for episodes when they're produced and uh, that you're not paying anything during the off months. So Sam, for listeners who don't yet follow you and any Silo fan really should, uh, where can they find you? At Silo 17 Squad, mostly crying about Lucas and Scotty right now. 
Thanks, Hugh. <laughs> he does like to make us cry, doesn't he? And you can find me uh, also on Twitter and on most other social media at Alicia CB, um, spelled out in the show notes for you. And if you're new to the feed and you like in-depth coverage, picking apart your favorite shows lovingly, I invite you to go back through the feed and check out my and my political historian who hasn't read the books, co-host uh, Luke's in-depth analysis of this season. And we are members of the Lorehounds Network, uh, publishers of this podcast. This is a network full of content covering shows, films, books, just like this. You'll also find me co-hosting Lorehounds MC Universe uh, episodes, now covering Secret Invasion. And an upcoming one-shot we're going to do about Barbenheimer. Um, you'll definitely find me at the double feature. I also want to welcome new to the network podcast, Properly Howard, with Steve and Anthony. They do fun movie reviews asking, is this better or worse than the average Ron Howard movie, or is it Properly Howard? And of course, they had to kick off their time in the Lorehounds with review of Howard the Duck itself. And you'll also find me and the Lorehounds in an upcoming episode talking about the uh, 2021 Villeneuve version of Dune, Dune Part 1. And some other shows I'm enjoying in the Lorehounds Network, uh, well, I'm finally catching up on the shows Mrs. Davis and the White House Plumbers, and I'm really glad to have their coverage to go along with those watches. Now, I'll be back in your ears in this feed with Luke one last time for this season for a special bonus crossover episode with the Lorehounds, where we wrap up the season and hand out our awards such as Best Comedian, Best Death, and all the rest. But for those of you who are ready to have the wool lifted from your show content only eyes, we'll see you in the Silo Book Club. The first Silazins have already moved in, and we want to give a special shout out and thank you to our founding book club members. We have Rebecca Goller, Niall Matotle, Mick D from New Zealand, Michelle E, John J. Travis T, and I have to give a special thanks to Rebecca Fan and Dead Eye Jedi Bob, who went above and beyond in their pledge. Thank you so much to all of you for helping to make this podcast possible, and you will get your first pick of apartments up top. Uh, as for the rest of you, we look forward to you joining us, because while the founders may be mysterious, uh, we have all of the inside info that Bernard only wishes he knew. 